Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. Okay, kids, we're finally here. Part five of the real root causes of your anxiety series. I took a break from recording solo episodes this summer, uh, but we're back and I've been super excited to get this episode out. I love how in part one of this series, I was like, oh, maybe this will be a two-part series. And now it has turned into a five-part series, which is actually fitting because there are six buckets or root causes that influence the symptom of an anxiety disorder, a panic disorder, chronic anxiety, whatever word you want to use. I use anxiety disorder and chronic anxiety interchangeably. And the reason I do that is because not everyone I work with has been officially diagnosed, but they do experience a lot of anxiety more than what is normal. And I will start this episode the way I have started the other four episodes. If you haven't listened to part one through four yet, this is part five, I recommend doing that first so you aren't missing like the greater context or any key pieces of information. This episode is going to go over the final bucket, the final root cause, stress, which is not just mental or emotional, but it's physical as well. The other episodes in this series cover cover the other five buckets, the other five root causes. So there's diet, gut health, nutrient deficiencies, lifestyle choices, and trauma. And those episodes are episode 11, 15, 19, and 23. And they're all titled The Real Root Causes of Anxiety, Part Whatever, Whatever, Whatever. So you can't miss them. Now let's dive into stress. This is a big bucket. We need to redefine what stress means. When I say the word stress, what do you think of? You probably think of work-related stress, the demands and pressures of your job, tight deadlines, heavy workloads. Maybe you don't like your boss or there's other job-related conflicts making work a not-so-great environment. I had a lot of work stress at one point, not in my role within my company uh, and my role in breaking up anxiety, but in another role that really pushed me into burnout because of a lot of the expectations that were placed on me that I just couldn't meet, nor did I want to, quite frankly. Or maybe when I said stress, you thought of family and home responsibilities, especially if you're a mama, managing household tasks, childcare, family obligations, balancing work and family life can be a significant source of stress. But finding quote unquote balance and the myth of balance is maybe a conversation for another time. Actually, I'm going to add that to my topic ideas for future episodes right now. Or maybe you thought of relationship stress, conflicts with your partner, family, or friends. Uh, This was a huge source of anxiety for me many, many, many years ago that you can hear all about in episode five where we chat about relationship anxiety. There is obviously mental and emotional stress, 
living with anxiety, living with depression, or just coping with difficult life events creates mental and emotional stress. Health concerns can create stress if you have a lot of headaches, fatigue, digestive issues, IBS, you know, and of course, again, anxiety and depression, that is a health concern. There is financial stress, time constraint stress. So feeling overwhelmed by a lack of time to accomplish everything on your to-do list. Self-imposed or societal imposed expectations and pressures, such as body image, career success, this can all be a source of stress. So clearly there's a lot of things that can come up when we think of stress, but you know what people rarely think of? Physical stress. And this is a really important piece of the anxiety stress puzzle that is feeding an anxiety disorder and keeping anxiety chronic. Sources of this physical stress can be your diet, blood sugar imbalances, hormonal imbalances, environmental and household toxins, digestive imbalances, gut pathogens, inflammation, nervous system dysregulation, sleep disruption, and overexercising. I used to get so annoyed and so pissed off when people would compare my anxiety to stress or they would tell me, you know, just relax or they would ask me, what are you so stressed about? Stress and anxiety might seem interchangeable, but they're not the same. Stress is a natural response to external pressures, while anxiety is this persistent, overwhelming feeling of worry, fear, uh, or unease that just won't quit, (laughs) even when there's nothing stressful happening. It's just like this unwelcome shadow constantly lurking around. Now, I don't know about you, but... I cannot tell you the amount of times people dismissed my anxiety as stress. It drove me bonkers. It made me feel like shit. But in hindsight, I now understand that they just couldn't grasp the grasp the magnitude of what I was experiencing. But then also like fast forward a few years when I began to study nutrition and got in hormonal health, I actually discovered that stress was the underlying culprit all along, just not in the way we think. Let's look at all the various ways that stress creates the symptom of anxiety. Kind of like we'll do like an overarching view and then we'll zoom in on a few key areas. So dietary stress can create inflammatory stress and you can get both inflammatory stress from what you're eating, if you're eating a lot of inflammatory foods. Um, Dietary stress could also be not eating enough protein, not eating enough fiber, not drinking enough water. And then we have gut health stress. So this could be low stomach acid, H. pylori, uh, liver stress, small intestine permeability, SIBO, large intestine, so colon stress, candida, parasites. This is all going to play a role in the amount of physical stress that our body is experiencing. And then we have nutrient deficiencies. And nutrient deficiencies are usually a combination of diet and gut health. So some key ones when it comes to anxiety are magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, and vitamin C. And if we go back to, you know, dietary stress, if we're looking at low stomach acid, stomach acid plays a role. It sterilizes our food. It sterilizes any pathogens, any gut pathogens, any parasites, anything that we're exposed to. Um, Protein digestion is huge here. So when we were talking about dietary stress and not eating enough protein, Are you not eating enough protein or is your stomach acid low and you're actually not breaking down the protein into amino acids that your body can then take and use for hormones, use for neurotransmitters? 
or is it a combination of both? And with the women I work with, it's a combination of both. If we circle back to nutrient deficiencies with the B vitamins, someone could be deficient in B12 if they have low stomach acid, because that is how B12 is being absorbed, assimilated. You are not what you eat. You are what you absorb, what you assimilate, what you excrete. It's not just, oh, I'm going to eat something, oh, I'm going to supplement with something, and then it's automatically going where it needs to go in the body. No, that is happening because of gut health. So if gut health is compromised, we will see nutrient deficiencies. And if we're not eating a whole food diet, if we're not eating high protein, high fiber, if we're eating a lot of the inflammatory foods, we're going to see nutrient deficiencies, and we're also going to see compromised gut health. So everything kind of overlaps with each other, which is actually a good thing. <laughs> because when you listen to these podcast episodes, you might be like, Oh my gosh, she's talking about so many things. But when we distill it down, it's actually because everything's overlapping. It's actually only, you know, a handful of things that need to be done. Okay, maybe not a handful, it depends on the person, but it could be 12 things, it could be 15 things, it could be 20 things. Another example of physical stress is hormonal stress. So this could be imbalances with your thyroid hormones, your sex hormones, like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, uh, cortisol, your stress hormones. And then these hormonal imbalances are going to create nervous system stress. Dietary stress, gut health stress, hormonal stress, nutrient deficiencies, they all overlap and create stress of the nervous system. Heavy metals and environmental toxins, toxins within our household, if you use a lot of conventional cleaning products instead of green cleaning products, things like that, mold and mycotoxins, these are all sources of stress on the body. Stress to your hormones, stress to your nervous system. Exercise is another big one. Exercise stress is another big one. So I exercised the wrong way for my mental health for four years. And that's why I was doing all the things and I was still experiencing crazy high levels of anxiety and panic. I was in biweekly therapy. I was on the highest daily dose of Prozac. I was taking Ativan almost every single day. So I'm speaking from both my personal experience and my clinical experience when I say if you have an anxiety disorder, if you experience chronic anxiety, it's super important that you take a good hard look at how you're moving your body because it could be doing more harm than good. The wrong type of exercise can actually exacerbate your anxiety by interfering with your hormonal balance. In my Breaking Up With Anxiety coaching program, I see this issue time and time again. In part three of this series, I do a deep dive into exercise stress and I talk about one of my favorite things ever, the art of cycle syncing. I would say to make sure you check that out, but you've already done that, right? Because you've listened to all the other parts before this one. <laughs> sleep disruption, not getting enough sleep. This is going to be another form of physical stress. So if you are not prioritizing your sleep, you need to start prioritizing your sleep. If you are really trying to sleep, but you can't, then it's time to look at, well, what are some of the root cause causative factors here for why you can't sleep because it is a symptom if you are actually like I'm trying to go to bed by 10 or 11 o'clock I'm trying to sleep I'm doing all the things I'm getting off on my electronics I'm avoiding blue light I'm reading 
you know, I'm having a bath, I'm meditating, I'm doing breath work, like you're doing all the things to set yourself up, all the sleep hygiene things, you wear a face mask, you have total darkness in your room, your room is, your bedroom is the coldest room in your house, like you're doing all of these things, and you still can't sleep, then this is a symptom. And we need to look at what's going on with the mitochondria, what's going on with drainage, what's going on with your thyroid, your adrenals, Are there stealth pathogens here, parasites, heavy metal toxicity, mycotoxins, um, bacteria imbalances? Are there some dietary nutrient deficiencies? Like, are you not eating enough protein? Are you drinking too much caffeine? Uh, Are there imbalances or low levels of calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, B vitamins, zinc? This all influences your sleep. Are there blood sugar imbalances? Is there inflammation? This all influences sleep. And they overlap and they feed into each other. All of the buckets, all of the root causes, diet, gut health, nutrient deficiencies, stress, trauma, lifestyle, they all overlap. Hey, hey, hey. I am quickly interrupting this episode because if you are like me and you are a visual learner, I wanted to let you know about my free one-hour webinar class called The Three Secrets to Natural Anxiety Banishment that walks you through well, the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment, specifically how to optimize your digestive function, how to fix your gut, how to eat in a way that boosts natural neurotransmitter production and reduce inflammation, and how to bring your hormones back into balance. I love podcasts for listening to when I'm on walks or driving or cooking or cleaning. They inspire me and give me so many aha moments, but I am a visual learner. So I benefit the most when I can see the information presented in a clear and organized manner, like a slideshow. I don't really remember or retain information that well when it's just presented verbally, which is exactly what I have done for you in my three secrets to natural anxiety banishment training. And within that training, I share the top things that you need to be doing to optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones back into balance, all in a beautiful slideshow. So if you haven't watched that, hit the link in the show notes to get your copy of the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment free training emailed right to you. Okay, back to the episode. So let's break this down a little bit more. Yes, dietary stress can create inflammatory stress, but other things also create inflammatory stress. SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, bacteria imbalance, and parasites, these irritate the lining, the gut lining, creating inflammation. Environmental toxins, not eating enough fiber, eating a lot of the inflammatory foods, so gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, soy, seed oils. If there is intestinal permeability, this is going to create inflammation. But also, if we're not getting enough of the specific nutrients that are needed for repair of the intestinal lining, so this would be things like vitamin A, vitamin C, E, B12, zinc, Dehydration, so not drinking enough water is going to create inflammation, and over-exercising is going to create inflammation as well. Let's look at another example, so stomach acid. Stomach acid is low. We want to boost this by 
looking at diets. So reducing gluten, dairy, processed foods, sugar, fast foods, corn, soy, seed oils, the inflammatory foods. We also want to increase good quality salt. I like Redmond Real Salt. If you follow me on Instagram, you see that I put that in my water. We also want to drink half our body weight in ounces of water daily. And then we also want to look at are we taking medications that are depleting some of the nutrients that we need for stomach acid like zinc? So are we taking a lot of antacids, a lot of medications that deplete zinc, birth control, things like that? If so, do we need to be supplementing? Uh, we also want to look at stress again as a, as a whole. So are, is there physical stress from within the body that's depleting stomach acid? Is there mental and emotional stress because that is absolutely going to impact stomach acid? Drinking a lot of coffee, smoking, nicotine, these things empty the stomach too quickly. It's also very common for children to have low stomach acid for, you know, all the above reasons. Well, minus the coffee and the nicotine, but look at the lunch food for a lot of kids, right? Um, or if there's a lot of stress or turmoil in the home, trauma, things like that, that will suppress stomach acid. And then that can go on for a really long time. And, and these kids can become teenagers and then adults who have had low stomach acid for so long that it's creating other imbalances as well. Stomach acid also does naturally decrease as we get older. So after the age of around 40, we want to start looking at supplementing with digestive enzymes, maybe some HCL. This will be different depending on the person. Maybe digestive bitters. It, again, it really depends on the person and kind of what they need. And then let's also talk about hormones really quickly because you'll notice that hormones and hormonal imbalances are not one of the root causes of anxiety. And that's because a hormonal imbalance is also a symptom. It's not a root cause. Hormones are what I call the big shiny objects. Like my DMs are exploding with women who want to know, how do I support my hormones? The root causes of hormonal imbalances are the same as anxiety. Diet, gut health, lifestyle, nutrient deficiencies, trauma, and stress. So let's zoom in on the liver specifically. So this is part of gut health and the role that liver plays in keeping your hormones balanced. The liver is responsible for metabolizing and clearing hormones, including your sex hormones like estrogen and testosterone. Hormones are chemical messengers. They're sent around the body to perform a function. Once they have served their function, the liver breaks them down into inactive forms so that they are easier to move out of the body and the body produces more hormones. Estrogen metabolism specifically is huge. We cannot talk about balancing hormones. We cannot talk about balancing estrogen without talking about the liver. So there's different pathways for estrogen metabolism. We have good pathways and bad pathways for kind of lack of a better word. The quote unquote good, let's call them optimal pathways. The optimal pathways convert estrogen into less potent forms, while the suboptimal pathways can lead to production of more potent and potentially harmful estrogen metabolites. So strong liver function is going to promote that optimal pathway, which helps to maintain 
hormonal balance. The liver is also the central organ or a central organ in the body's detoxification process. And this is important because an overloaded or a sluggish liver may not effectively clear hormones leading to hormonal imbalances. The liver also stores essential nutrients, including vitamins and minerals that are necessary for hormone synthesis and balance. One example of this is vitamin D, which is really important for hormonal regulation. The liver also plays a massive role in regulating blood sugar levels by storing glucose, so sugar, as glycogen and releasing it when needed. Stable blood sugar levels are essential for hormonal balance, as is the hormone insulin, glycogen. These are two hormones involved in blood sugar regulation. And when those are thrown off, guess what? It's going to throw off sex hormones as well. And then we have cholesterol, which is not bad. It has been so demonized. Cholesterol is a precursor to your sex hormones. We need cholesterol. The liver plays a role in regulating cholesterol levels, which then is going to influence our sex hormone production. And then we have thyroid function. The liver plays a crucial role in converting thyroid hormones. So you have T4 and you have T3. T4 is the inactive form of the thyroid hormone, and T3 is the active form. And the liver plays a role in converting T4 to T3. Your thyroid hormones are interconnected with all your other sex hormones, and imbalances in one can affect the other. About 60 to 80% of your thyroid hormone T4, so the inactive form, is converted into the more active form T3 throughout the body, in tissues of the body, in different organs, including the liver. So going to your doctor and them running TSH and telling you that's a full thyroid panel, that's checking your thyroid, and then telling you your thyroid is fine, does not mean your thyroid is fine. TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone. What we need to know is what's going on with T3. Do you actually have active forms of the thyroid hormone? That's important. And then last point I'll make about the liver. I could do solo episodes upon solo episodes about the liver, but bile production. So the liver produces bile, which is absolutely necessary for the digestion and the absorption of dietary fats. And why is this important? We need proper fat digestion because remember, we're not just what we eat, we're what we absorb, assimilate, utilize. Proper fat digestion is essential because sex hormones are synthesized, created from cholesterol, which is a type of fat. So how do we support the liver? Because without strong liver function, you will not bring your hormones into alignment. To support the liver, we want to look at, again, And you'll notice there's a lot of overlaps here, right? There's a lot of things that I'm saying under each bucket. So reduce inflammatory oils, the seed oils, dairy, gluten, processed foods, sugar, fast foods. Eat more protein. We need amino acids, which is what protein breaks down to, to fuel liver detox. Boost stomach acid. 
look at medications that we're on. Are they depleting some key essential nutrients that we need for liver function like magnesium, vitamin C, zinc, environmental toxins, household toxins, toxins from our beauty products, alcohol consumption? Are we drinking enough water? You also want to look at adding foods and herbs that support liver function and support bile production. So those are things like milk thistle, dandelion, ginger, peppermint tea, radishes, kale, arugula, artichokes, garlic, sleep, sleeping eight hours a night, going to bed by 10, 11 o'clock, nightly castor oil packs. You know, I love my castor oil packs. If you've been listening to this podcast for a little bit, I did pretty much an entire episode on castor oil packs. You can also take supplements for liver support as well, but you can't out supplement the dietary changes. So if you are supplementing with liver support, I take kale support by Cellcor and Tudka by Cellcor. I rotate between those two, but I am also addressing my diet. I am also getting enough sleep. I'm also using castor oil packs. I'm also drinking enough water. You know, I'm not, I don't drink alcohol anymore. And one of the big reasons I made that decision was ultimately for liver and hormonal support. I have detoxed my home as much as I possibly can. The cleaning products I buy are clean and green. Almost everything that goes on my body is clean and green. So yes, supplements can be so helpful, so beneficial, but you cannot supplement your way out of also making the dietary and lifestyle changes. I also cannot do an episode on stress or talk about the stress bucket without talking about mental and emotional stress, because this is obviously also going to impact the body. Stress will impact the liver. It will impact the small intestine. It'll create nutrient deficiencies like B vitamins, magnesium, vitamin C, potassium, create blood sugar imbalances, impact the thyroid. And I, and I should say, long-term chronic mismanaged stress, not acute stress. Acute stress is fine. We are literally built to withstand certain amounts of acute stress. But this is where practicing stress management daily becomes so important. We will never be able to eliminate the mental, all the mental and emotional stress from our lives entirely. We live in a modern world. It bombards us with demands, expectations, challenges. All of this is going to impact our mental health. However, our goal is to transform our response to stress by building emotional resilience and developing effective coping mechanisms. Our stress resilience is determined by how we cope with stressors. And we build strong stress resilience by working on our emotional resilience. This is what I mean when I say to optimize your stress response. I mean to address what's going on within the physical body that's creating physical stress and then building strong stress resilience through working on emotional resilience. So this can look like doing the work to rewire rewire neural pathways, exploring your thought and belief patterns, cultivating emotional intelligence, facing your fears, practicing self-compassion and forgiveness towards yourself and others, and meditation. Now, there are no quick fixes and there are no shortcuts per se, 
but maybe there are actually shortcuts <laughs> when it comes to rewiring your neural pathways and reprogramming thought and belief patterns. One of these could be microdosing. So microdosing is when you take a sub-perceptual, aka you don't feel it, dose of psilocybin containing mushrooms with a structured protocol intention and tools to track your progress and tailor as needed. And this has created big, big, big shifts in my life. I'm a big fan. New brain connections literally turn on and these new connections enhance our ability to address what's kind of always been lurking below the surface, but in a more calm and resourced way and can provide a healthy neurological boost to create new and supportive pathways and outlets for things like anxiety. This has been a practice that I have integrated into my mental health maintenance uh, and emotional resilience work since 2022, January 2022, and I love it. Now, I don't teach people how to do it. It's simply a practice that has helped me greatly, so I want to share. Oh, but, oh, oh, you know what? My friend and colleague, Lauren, is hosting a workshop on this coming up on October 4th. I'm not affiliated with it at all. I, I make no commission from telling you this, but I will be attending. So I wanted to share with you because if you are curious about how microdosing could support you, this workshop will be an amazing resource to learn more about it. You're going to learn uh, what microdosing is, how to harness the benefits of this practice to optimize your well-being. She's going to give protocols to follow and explain how to find the right protocol for you. She's going to walk us through how to track your progress and how to tailor your dose as needed, safety concerns to look out for, um, how to find reliable products, and so much more. So I'm actually going to put the link for that workshop in the show notes. It's called, I think it's called Microdosing 101. Lauren and I also did an episode together on this podcast where she shared how plant medicines like mushrooms have helped her on her journey to overcoming anxiety. So if you want to check that out, it's episode 24. While we're on the topic, <laughs> I also recommend listening to episode 12 of this podcast, The Magic of Microdosing, where I brought on one of the founders of Vellum Health, which is the company that I use for microdosing. And if you want to try some of their products, you can use my code TAE10 for a discount. Dr. Andrew Huberman also has some great episodes on psilocybin. I will link one of those in the show notes. Now let's chat about mindfulness and meditation. So in part two of this series, I talked about breathwork and I said that I was going to skip over the mindfulness and the meditation portion and come back to that when we talked about stress management in our final episode of the series. So here we are. <laughs> in Breaking Up Anxiety, the group coaching program, I guide the women through a style of meditation called a moving meditation. So a moving meditation is me combining my love slash obsession for breathing and breath work with my love slash obsession for yoga. <laughs> Two things that I wouldn't be anxiety-free today without. It's a big piece of the puzzle, in my opinion, alongside addressing all the other root causes, and it has what has gotten me to where I am today. But back in the day, 
the idea of sitting cross-legged in like absolute silence with a completely quiet blank mind, you know, free from obsessive and ruminating thoughts just didn't sit well (laughs) with my anxious brain. It actually was impossible. I did try. It felt impossible. So I tried something different. I started practicing a more active form of meditation by combining gentle yoga poses with my breath. So by linking your breath to what you're doing, moving your body in a repetitive sequence, you're actually meditating and you're practicing mindfulness. So it's kind of like this great way to trick the anxious brain. And I do actually have a free resource for this. It's a little five-day moving meditation challenge. I'll link it in the show notes. Basically, every day for five days, you'll receive an email with a link to that day's moving meditation sequence. Each sequence is really short. It's about six to 10 minutes. They're all under 10 minutes a day. I get so much amazing feedback from these classes, both the free challenge five pack and from my breaking up anxiety clients. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. Meditation is a muscle, okay? You have to work it. You have to develop it to make it stronger. If you don't work it, it doesn't grow. Okay, let's wrap it up. There you have it. The six real reasons you have anxiety. Your diet, your gut health, you have nutrient deficiencies, your lifestyle choices, your stress, be that your stress management or lack thereof stress management, physical stress, And number six, your trauma. Some of you might have pieces in all six of these buckets to work on, areas of opportunity. Some of you may have pieces in maybe four of these buckets or five of these buckets. But this is where you start when you are looking to permanently break up with your anxiety. If you want to truly release your anxiety, you have to investigate and address all of these buckets. You have to stop looking for one or just a few things that is going to be your magic pill solution because it doesn't exist. You need to do multiple things at the same time in the right order for the right amount of time. A good rule of thumb is a minimum of three months and breaking up anxiety, the program that I run is four months to really give people time to learn and implement these changes. Getting serious about your diet, your gut health, your lifestyle, your stress management, you have no idea how good you can feel, but it does require you do the work. So if you are ready to dive deep into this work, if you're ready to release your chronic anxiety by learning about targeting and improving your digestion, your gut health, your hormonal health, your nutrition, if you're ready to learn and implement more consistently the strategies needed to actually regulate your nervous system, if you want support, accountability, and community, click the link in the show notes and join us in my Breaking Up with Anxiety group coaching program. Maybe a four-month program isn't for you, and that's okay. I still have workshops that address everything that I have talked about in this series, and those can be found in the show notes or on my website at www.tejandro.com forward slash bundles, no, forward slash workshops dash bundles. I'll link it in the show notes. 
Now, this is where the action paralysis kicks in, right? Especially when you have anxiety where there's so many things to do that you just do nothing. So I just really want to talk about that for a second. If you are feeling overwhelmed by all the tasks and you have difficulty prioritizing where to begin, and then maybe there's the fear of making the wrong choice. So you just do nothing, you know, or good old perfectionism kicks in here and you want everything to be perfect, which it won't ever be, by the way, but we think it will be and we try anyway. (laughs) And inevitably this desire to be perfect just paralyzes you. Or maybe you just don't have a clear plan or a vision of what you want to achieve, which makes it hard to take action. And of course, we're in this age of information overload, right? Where there's so much information out there when it comes to our mental health, which is both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because the conventional treatment for anxiety and panic disorders focuses on managing the symptoms rather than targeting the root causes, It doesn't acknowledge that anxiety is not a standalone issue. It's a complex interplay of the physical, the chemical, the mental and emotional stressors that requires a comprehensive approach. And you likely wouldn't even know this without the internet because it's not a conversation happening in your doctor's office, right? But when there's so much information to process, it leads to overwhelm and inaction. But here's what overwhelm means. You are trying to do too much. You need to slow down. You need to meet your body where it's at, not where your mind wants to be. So just start. Pick one thing and go. Everyone has to start somewhere. I had to start somewhere back in 2015. 1% better a day. Doing one thing is better than doing nothing. And just to give you some perspective, there is zero way it will take you anything less than four months to implement the things that I have talked about in this series. That's why the Breaking of Anxiety program is four months. That's how long it takes for me to walk women through this work step by step by step. And not only that, but adjust it to them and personalize it to them. It's hard to do this alone. It's not impossible. It's just hard. And you've likely already tried so many different things already, right? You've done your research. You're listening to this podcast. And maybe you're just like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to put these pieces together. That's what I do for you in the Breaking Up Anxiety program. Everything is broken down into manageable chunks. You watch a short video every week. There's very clear action tasks. There's a roadmap. It's like, do this one thing. And then when this one thing is done, move on to this thing. And then this thing. And we build that way. It takes the anxiety out of making all these decisions. I'm there for you to guide you through the steps, as are the rest of the women in the program. There's tons of support. You just, you don't even have to think about it. You just show up and you follow the steps. This works if you do the work. But I also want to share that if, you know, my programs or my workshops are just not feasible for you right now, it's not just about the money. You have to put in the resources no matter what. And when I say resources, I don't mean money. 
the way I like to look at it is I heard this analogy once and I thought it was really great. If you work with somebody, you know, like me or somebody else who does what I do, it's like going to Disney World and there's all these big long lines, right, for the ride. You can buy a fast pass and you can skip to the front of the line. You can get on the ride faster or you cannot buy the fast pass and you can wait in the regular line. Either way, you're going to get on the ride. Your resources are time, energy, effort, and money. And everybody has to put in time, energy, and effort. You want the results? Put in the time. Put in the energy. Put in the effort. There's no quick fix. There's nothing I can say to you that's going to absolve you from doing the work. My podcast, my Instagram, it's meant to inspire and educate and give you hope. It's like the gateway to change because maybe it opens up your eyes to other explanations for your anxiety disorder that you've never heard before. So you can learn and reflect and you can start to make some changes. So whether you ever join us in the Breaking Up With Anxiety program or not, the two biggest takeaways from today are that to effectively tackle your anxiety, you want to address both the physical causes of stress and work on building up your stress resilience. So based on everything I talked about, where are your areas of opportunity? Start slowly, pick one thing at a time. And my suggestions would be to start with any dietary or gut health area of opportunities first, and then go from there. that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality, and there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action, and the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing. My legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode. 
Bye for now.